We have been in the study of the book of Nehemiah, and it's been a very appropriate study for the season that we are in, and I think the season our nation is in, and the things that we witness happening in places like Wilmore, Kentucky. It's all about rebuilding. And Nehemiah had taken on this Herculean task of rebuilding the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And that's what this has all been about for several weeks. We've been talking about that. Not everybody was excited about this. Uh, they, they weren't excited that he had come to town. And Nehemiah was facing a, a number of different enemies from the outside. Uh, these governors, uh, which were from the north and the east and the south, uh, they were opposing the efforts to rebuild the city and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, all different efforts were made against, uh, against Nehemiah in those efforts. And now there was a new threat. It was a threat from within. And uh, the threat from within is often much more dangerous than the threats from the outside. Uh, people began taking advantage of one another. People began to cheat uh, other people. There was division, there was strife, there was uh, injustice that was going on. And uh, the truth is, if we think about it, the very worst attacks come from the inside. That, that's what really um, messes us up and gets us uh, crumbling. So that's where we are. We're in chapter 5, a real turning point in the history of God's people. Uh, chapter 5 of the book of Nehemiah, beginning verse 1. And so uh, let me just remind you that if you don't own a Bible, uh, take one of the Bibles that's here, an ESV version of the Bible, and then you have a Bible, put your name in it and begin to study it, read it every day. We're on page 401 in that Bible if you want to open that one up. Let's hear the word of God. Now, there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine and there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as your flesh the, of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother? And I held a great assembly uh, against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers 
that they may be sold to us? They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, and their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on the wall. And we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this... I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on his people. Remember, for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Now let's stand and let's pray. Thank you, God, for Nehemiah. What an amazing man. What an amazing leader. God, I pray that I might learn, that we might learn, that we might apply, that we might walk, of course, after Jesus, but that we might walk in a way that is honoring, such as Nehemiah. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You may not have picked up on it yet, but you have an enemy. Yeah, 
Okay, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You might say, well, I, I never made any enemies. I never meant to make an enemy. Well, you have an enemy because you have one who has made himself the enemy of you. And your enemy does not want you rebuilding your life. <laughs> your enemy does not want you to be strong. Your enemy does not want your family to, to thrive. This enemy does not want you to experience life abundantly. This enemy does not want you secure. All of those things that we've been talking about. Jesus called the enemy the thief. That's one of the names for Satan. In John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. How many of you want life abundantly? A little stronger? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's what we want. And we don't want anything else. And that enemy comes against all of that. Well, Nehemiah had faced several adversaries manifested by the enemy. They had come, all of them from the outside. We've talked about this for several weeks. Sambalot in the north in Samaria. Tobiah in the east, which is Jordan, Ammon, the Ammonites. Geshem in the south, uh, the Arab uh, countries down there. Pressuring and posturing and threatening and uh, from every direction. They were surrounded And so far, these threats had only served to strengthen and to unify. That's what the result had been. We see that often as a nation. We see that uh, when when we're attacked from the outside, we come together. That's a famous picture there, the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima. Inspiring, isn't it? How many of you, that's, I won't call it sacred, but it's just an amazing image and we know that after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the, the unification, the mobilization of Americans, people weren't fighting against each other. And it came together. Uh, you know, recently I was going through my dad's military records, and I was looking at, uh, many of you are familiar with the form uh, DD-214, which is the, the uh, record, the mili- official mil- military record. And I was going through it. And uh, dad had always told me, he said, well, I enlisted when I was 18. I, I enlisted as soon as I was 18. I enlisted as soon as I was 18. And I was looking at his DD-214, and I realized something. <laughs> he was only 17 when he had enlisted. As far as I know, I don't know my dad to have ever to- told a lie. And, and I, I won't say I confronted him with it, but I did. I, I talked to him about it. Two weeks They had changed his birthday two weeks earlier because here he was in Kansas City trying to enlist. And I know somebody just said, well, you're not going to be any different in two weeks. Go over there and get your physical and get a haircut, you know, because that's what that's what the nation was doing. We're coming together after 9-11. We saw the same thing. I remember I went to New York City. Uh, a, a few months after 9-11. I didn't know quite what to expect. I had been there only a few times. I'm not a big New York traveler, but I had been there a few times and seen shows, and it wasn't the friendliest place I had ever been. Some of you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and I will say that in New York, every time I've been there, if you ask for help, you, people will help you, but it, just people are passing, and they're going, and they're busy, and they're moving. And I remember that when we went there, it was so different. The tone of the place was so different. People were, they were glad that we were there. And, they, and there was a, a kind of a connection. A, a, I don't know, I guess it's brotherhood of some sort that was going on. We find a unity, don't we, when we're attacked from the outside. It's what occurs. But threats from within are different. 
They weaken us. They demoralize us. And enemies know that if they can get a nation or a people to turn against one another, it begins crumbling. Uh, really, most of the battle is done. And that's what was happening in Judah, in Judea, uh, in Jerusalem at this very time. General Douglas MacArthur put it this way. He said, I am concerned for the security of our great nation. Not so much because of any threat from without, but because of the insidious forces working from within. And many have said a similar thing. And it's, it's really not a political thing. It's not one side of the aisle or the other. Uh, we notice this. that When we get divided against each other, we are at risk. We are in peril. Well, in Jerusalem, the wall was partly finished. It was about halfway to the eventual height that was going to be needed. The process had been wearing on the people, straining resources. And now a famine was coming. And families in the surrounding villages were beginning to feel the pain of this sacrifice that had gone on and on. And suddenly, Nehemiah is hearing about it. It sounds like all of a sudden. I don't know why he had not heard about this before. I think because he was so busy working on the wall, directing the wall, directing the construction. But all of a sudden, he hears. And there was this great outcry, the scripture says, of the people against others. And the Hebrew word is an interesting one. It's, it's kind of hard to pronounce, but it's tsa'aka. It sounds like almost like a, a bird call. Tsa'aka. Why don't you say that with me? Our Hebrew word for the day. Tsa'aka. And it, sound, and it means to shriek. Who did that so well? Okay, do it. Come on, come on, come on. There you go. A Hebrew expert right there. There was, and, and it means to shriek. The, suddenly the people, they weren't just saying, well, you know, there's some problems over here and we'd like you to look into this. They, they were very upset. And, and so there was a shrieking that was going on. Four problems are outlined in the scripture uh, that had developed. The first, it started with a food shortage. Um, with our sons and our daughters, we're, we're many. There's a whole lot of us. Let, let us get some grain so that we may eat and keep alive. We're, we're going to starve. We're going to die. Our sons and our daughters, our families are going to die if we don't get some grain. And, and so we need you to know this. We need something to be done. And the truth is, nothing gets our attention quite like food shortages, you know, we just get a little bit of a shortage. I mean, somebody goes to the market and they say, oh, they take a picture. <laughs> Look at this. There, there's empty shelves. What's on the shelves? Anything you needed? Not really, but there's empty shelves. <laughs> we just get all upset about empty shelves. Uh, and, and if you think about it, I mean, if our kids are hungry, you've got my attention. I'll, I'll begin to deba- debate it. I probably will almost anything. Pastor, would you steal to feed your children? I would borrow. <laughs> I'll pay it back. <laughs> but I would do what I needed to do to feed my children. And I think, I think many, of, many of us understand that. We're not talking about not getting the brands we like or, or the eggs have tripled in price. This isn't what it's about. There was a famine. There were food shortages. And these things occur. And it was an extra strain because of all this effort that had been poured into the building of, of the walls. But this led to something worse. Well, what's worse than that? Profiteering was the second problem. We're having to mortgage our fields, our vineyards, and our houses just to get grain because of the famine. People were taking advantage of the situation. Here's the saying, uh, never let a crisis go to waste. And it's said in business, it's said in, in, uh, in politics and in policy 
But it's just, and you hear it in a different way. Hey, we've got an opportunity here. I hear people say, we're going to mobilize. We're going to go into this area because roofing is going to be a big deal after this hurricane. We can charge any price. I hear people that are saying this kind of thing. And we can take advantage of the crisis. And that's what happened. We see it in Florida during hurricanes as the ramp up comes to hurricanes. There we go. There's my picture of a hurricane. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> We're not in it right now. Thank goodness. But during a storm, the prices are dictated by this law of supply and demand. And prices go up, gas goes up, and water goes up, and ice goes up, and uh, all these things. Generators and plywood, it all goes up. Uh, Florida even instituted a price gouging uh, law statute. I, I don't know how you ever, you know, enforce that. Because basically it says that if your price that you're charging grossly exceeds the average price over the last 30 days. I've got to do a 30-day study, and please define grossly. Seriously, I mean, there are, there are hotlines, but basically people can get what they want for what they have, and you're going to have to pay. And we know that economies are based upon supply and demand. I mean, that's the way it works, right? This past uh, week was Valentine's Day, and I'll tell you a little story about my Valentine's Day. I was uh, in a meeting all day, in, uh, uh, most of the day, in Orlando. And so I was coming back in the late afternoon, 5.30, 6 o'clock, I'm headed back, you know, down I-95. I've come over from Orlando. I'm in a suit and a tie uh, because I've been at this meeting. And uh, uh, Pastor Ann calls me. Actually, it was wife Ann calls me. And she says, uh, could you pick up a few things at Sam's? Oh, yeah. I'm so happy to do that because I'm kind of empty-handed at the moment. And, and I, had, I had already thought, I need to stop somewhere and I need to get some flowers. Brothers, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. And so I go into Sam's, and I'm thinking, this is really a good thing. I don't have to explain why I went somewhere else. I'm going to go in here. I walk in the front door, and there's a huge display of empty buckets of water. <laughs> Six in the evening. And I look, and, and I'm a little bit panicked, and there's a fella up there, and he's got a beautiful bunch of flowers. He's just taking out, and he's, he's, he's stuffing it down into the plastic wrap thing, you know. And then I look again, and there's one more bunch of flowers. Someone say, praise God. <laughs> I said it. Yes. And I didn't want to be conspicuous, you know, so I carefully, well, I, I, I didn't want to get in a fight, you know, el elbowing, you know. Nobody else was going for that last bunch of flowers. It was mine. Jesus left it there for me. <laughs> Praise God, right? And it was a beautiful, it was a big bunch of flowers, you know? And so I got it, and, uh, and, and then I started trying to stuff, it's very awkward, it's a big bunch, you know, I was trying to stuff it in the plastic thing. This really nice lady came over and said, can I help you? We guys always look a little bit helpless, and so she, she helps me get the plastic on it. She's kind of realizing this is a good thing for somebody, you know, sisterhood things going on here. And so I begin doing my other shopping. I'm going around, and uh, I'm shopping for the other things. Now, guys, I, a lot of you will know what I'm talking about. There's kind of a brotherhood among male shoppers, right? We acknowledge each other. It's just a little nod, right? Yeah. We, we do it, don't we? Yeah. 
It's what we do. You can do it right now. It's just we, you know, I know. And then also we'll help one another out a little bit. But I noticed that there were a lot of guys that had already gotten these bunches. And then there were some who were just still looking around. And there's, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> and this, this fella came over and he, uh, and he said, uh, uh, where'd you, I said, <laughs> I knew what he was going to say. They were out front and I got the last one. I'm so sorry, you know. And you could just see him kind of shrink down. And he headed for the door. I don't know. He's like, well, what am I going to do? He headed out. And after he was gone, I just have to confess. I had this realization, and it was the thought about the law of supply and demand. Those are the flowers right there. And I realized these could be worth a lot. (laughs) She thinks I'm getting iced tea and a few other things. She won't know. I confess, I'm so sorry. I, but, and and I, I dismissed that from my mind uh, very, very quickly. How could I think such a, But I realized I could get any price I wanted. At that, I could probably have an auction out in the parking lot for that bunch of flowers. Well, that, in a way, that's what was happening in Jerusalem. People were having to mortgage their houses to get grain, to get food for their children. Other people had the resources, and, and they weren't helping one another. There's a third problem in Jerusalem, and it was that they were borrowing to pay taxes. Verse 4 says, we've borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. We've already mortgaged our our fields and our vineyards, and we're having to figure out how to pay money. High High food prices and high taxes, have you ever been familiar with this? Yeah, some things just don't change. And so uh, these people were beginning to drown in consumer debt. And trying to, if you have to borrow to pay your taxes, something is wrong. Amen? Maybe you didn't plan quite right or something like that. And they may have thought, you know, Nehemiah, you represent the king. What happened to this idea that the king was going to pay for all this? You know, it was back a few chapters. And the tone of the complaint was interesting. We thought we were supposed to be brothers. We thought we were in this brotherhood where we acknowledge one another. You know, we take care of one another. That's what we thought. Now, our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. You know, it's the one thing that gets us. When you look at a picture, uh, one of the missions that we support, and you look at a child, you go, that is a child. I have a child. I connect. When we do the Think Humanity uh, ministries, I mean, it's just like, this could be my child. This could be me. And so we connect. We've all got kids, and we're supposed to be working together and sacrificing together and working on this project together. What happened to the unified effort that we felt? But it gets worse. The fourth thing, to repay the creditors, some had to sell their children into slavery. This was like a gut punch to Nehemiah. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are already enslaved. But it is not in our power, but it is not in our power to help it for other men have our fields. There's nothing else we can mortgage. This kind of slavery was practiced in the ancient world. In times of economic distress, families would borrow as much as they could. And finally, they would set their their family members as collateral. Well, what's the collateral on this money I'm going to loan you? Well, your house is already mortgaged. Your field is already mortgaged. How about your firstborn son? How about your daughter? 
This is what would happen. Now, don't misunderstand. They didn't own that person, but that person served as a servant in the home and in the fields until the debt was paid. Now, in Jewish law, they served as a hired servant, but then servants had to be released in the seventh year. Well, praise God for that. But this is a horrible thing. And Nehemiah heard about this, and he was very angry. Uh, the, The Hebrew word here is kara. It means to blaze up. He blazed up with anger. We we can we know what that's like. Uh, burning with anger. Yeah, this was outrageous to him. In a nation that was founded upon the exodus from slavery, you are forcing your brothers to sell their children into slavery. He had to calm himself down a little bit. <laughs> and we're going to see that. What do you do when you see an outrageous, horrible injustice? When you hear of abuses unscrupulous practices that are dividing the brotherhood. Well, we're going to look at Nehemiah's response. Now, there's eight parts to it. They're not, all, they're not real long, but it's really important to see all of the things that Nehemiah did in response. And the first was an amazing one. It's a phrase that we probably wouldn't think of. He says, he took counsel with himself. I took counsel with my... Why don't we say that out loud? I took counsel with myself. It means I I looked at myself first. I was enraged. I was on fire with rage, but I looked inward at myself, consulted with myself first. So he, he did a kind of internal inventory. And here's the truth we don't want to miss. When confronting injustice of any kind... Uh, the first place we have to look is inside ourselves. We need to make sure uh, that we've taken that step for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 7, he said, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Sure didn't seem like a speck. <laughs> let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. First look inward, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We don't tend to do that. Sometimes pride prevents us from seeing our own fault. I have a part in this. We we want to look at that. Comparison often leads us to rationalize. Well, my sin's not as bad as their sin, so I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going to yell about that. But this Hebrew word to... To look inward, to consult, means to rein in or rein, take rein over. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. In another way we could translate this in the Pastor Jeff version of the Bible, I got myself under control. I, I reined myself in, that range. You see, anger distorts the message. How many of you know that's true? It is true. I mean, in, in, in relationships and family everywhere... And rage exaggerates the complaint. We get into a hyperbole that's ridiculous and nobody hears anything. Have you ever you know, felt like, I can't hear your message because of the manner in which you are bringing it? I've heard people argue that the message won't be heard unless we start things on fire. And I would suggest that if you start things on fire, nothing will be heard. I mean, we won't get anywhere. Dr. Carey, who spoke a few weeks ago uh, in my absence in his book on Nehemiah, his book, Build Hope, 
He put it this way. He said, love does not allow righteous indignation to become unbridled rage. That says it really well. The charge of hypocrisy is often because of this failure to look in ourselves. And so that these things get pointed out because we haven't dealt with them. And sometimes we've become the very thing that we were trying to protest. The failure at this point, I would say, it makes the whole effort impotent. It's just not going to get anywhere. So controlling your rage serves your message powerfully. That's the thing. Whether it's in a, in a small conflict or in a workplace or in a neighborhood or on a, a big stage. The second thing is that Nehemiah brought charges. I mean, it's a strong phrase. I brought charges against the nobles and, and the, uh, the officials. And the word, uh, the word here is a legal term. I pleaded the strife before these. And the truth is that nothing will happen if you don't say something. How many of you have realized that? A number of years ago when I lived in Jacksonville, I remember so vividly a day. I was on the other side of town from where we lived, and I went to fill up uh, my tank with gas. And, I, and it was a pay at the pump. I believe that's one of the greatest inventions of the 20th century. Amen? Yeah. And so uh, pay at the pump. I'm there. I go up to, I'm, I'm filling my tank. And another car pulls up behind me. And there's this, um, uh, it's a nice car. I'm in my, my Nissan Altima, and this car was a, a really nice BMW. And there's a family in it. And the fellow gets out, and he goes over, and he starts to, to try to fill his tank. And it, it, it's just not working, and I'm kind of noticing this. And then the speaker comes on, and the speaker says, I'm sorry, you'll have to pay in advance. And so the fellow, he goes, you know, and he goes on back in. Now, what I didn't tell you about this story is that the family, lovely family, family beautiful family, was African-American. And I'm just watching, and I'm realizing, and, I, and I'm just thinking, I, I'm not at all sure what to do. And I finished up, and, and I went on, and, and later, I thought, I should have said something. I should have gone in there and said, I'll never buy gas in this place. I never will, because I'm never on that side of town. But, I mean, what, or maybe gone to the fellow and said, I don't know if you realize it, but you were just discriminated against. And it's wrong, and I just want you to know, I noticed, and it's wrong. I mean, something, but I went on my way. I wish I could say, oh, I'm the best pastor in the whole world, and I just always stand up for the right thing. I usually think of the best thing to say later. I, I said the right thing in some places and times. I have. Edmund Burke is credited with saying, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do what? Nothing. Yeah. We got to step up. We, we, we got to say something. And so Nehemiah, he stepped up and he called for an assembly. It was probably dangerous because they had to stop work to have this assembly. Now, Jesus says if you have a complaint or against one person, you go to them individually. He says you go to them, you just go to them and you talk to them about it. But when there's an injustice, when there's a bigger picture of things, you, uh, you, you, you need to bring that before an assembly. And that's what he does here. He confronted the assembly. You are exacting interest from your brothers in this time of crisis. Seriously? Now, that's not in the Hebrew, but I'm sure it was there. Really? After all that we have done, all that we've been working on, we've worked to buy back 
Jewish brothers. We have, we've gathered money to buy back Jewish brothers who were sold into slavery to the nations, to the Gentiles, and you're now selling brothers that we're going to later on have to buy back? And they were silent. <laughs> there was not a whole lot to say. I get the idea that Nehemiah was a no-nonsense communicator. I mean, he, I think he's quite a preacher. He's an amazing guy. So the third thing he did is really, really important. He brought a solution. Outcry is useless if there's no solution for change. He said, this is not good. You need to walk in the fear of the Lord. You need to get some of the fear of God in you. That's the first part of the solution. That's where we need to start. I and my servants, we will lend money and grain without interest. That's what we've been doing. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Now, can you imagine if right now in a time of crisis, there was a declaration by the governor, no one can charge interest, no interest. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Well, I mean, depending on what side of that you're on, okay. But, But in a time of crisis, this is what he did. It was really rather radical. Let us abandon exacting of interest. And Nehemiah had already been doing this. He had been leading by an example. He and the others were helping those in need. He was helping them with money and grain. Um, And when we're in a time like this is when we help one another. You know, I've noticed that um, the time that I get to know my neighbors the most is when? Preparation for hurricanes. That's when it is. I mean, if I wasn't sure their name, I get to know their name. And we help one another. And I say, can I, are you sure you want to help? Yeah, yeah, come on. Can I pay you for that plywood? No, it was extra. People just help one another because we're all in the same boat. We're all working toward the same thing. So we help one another. He wasn't asking the people to do something that he was not already doing. Return to them their fields and their, this stuff where you're, you've, you're possessing their land and their houses. You're going to give it back. And return to them the percentage of money. That all that profit you've been making, that profiteering, uh, return all of this. And the response of the people was, okay, <laughs> we hear you. We will restore these and, re- and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And Nehemiah said, okay, but I'm going to call the priests over. I'm going to bring the priests over. And you're going to swear to that in front of the priests. That was as strong as you could get. You don't trust us? Oh, yeah, I trust you. But trust but verify. <laughs> I'm going to make sure. I'm not stupid, you know. I'm not going to leave my, my flowers in the cart and walk away from them, right? <laughs> right? But this is before the Lord now, and it's between you and the Lord. This is a big deal. So Nehemiah then gave a visual warning, and it's not something I've ever seen in any other part of Scripture. It says he shook out the fold of his garment. What does that mean? Apparently, the fold of the robe was where uh, men and, and, and women, I'm sure, kept valuable things. So they had usually probably a rope around them, and then they had a fold in their garment. They didn't have pockets. So this was their pocket. It's where you kept the things that you carried around every day. You know, you come home and, and you empty your pockets, guys, right? Okay. Right. Okay. And so all the stuff in your pockets, uh, you know, the stuff that was close to you would be here. And so that's what, that's what uh, this is about. He, he threw open that fold. You know, we go into a, these days you go into a hospital or you go into the courthouse or you go into the uh, airport and you have to empty your pockets. Okay. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like just, you know, throwing this stuff out, but I'm nice about it. 
But that's what he did. He threw open, he emptied his full. And I'll just show you what that probably looked like. It was like this. That's what he did. I emptied the fold of my robe. And all the stuff fell out. Whatever coins and small objects went clattering to the ground. And, and then he said this. He said, so may God shake out every man from this house, from his house, and from his labor who does not keep this promise. Don't you dare not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. You don't want to be shaken out of the fold of God's garment. Amen? It's the closest place. It was really a kind of a curse. It was a conditional curse. If you don't live up to your word, may God shake you out of that close place. And the people said, amen. They got it. People did as they promised, and it was a significant turning point. I think if this moment had not happened, I don't know that, that Jerusalem would have ever been rebuilt and made safe. But there's more. Um, Nehemiah then, beyond that, he led sacrificially. Today we call it a servant leader, someone who leads by example. Someone said that a leader that's not a servant is not really a leader. Uh, but Nehemiah, he was appointed governor, and, and he continued on. And Nehemiah served without pay. Nehemiah had a right to draw a salary in verse 14. Uh, previous governors had lived lavishly. They had a, a big allotment for food, and then they had a salary on top of that. He didn't take any of it. I mean, we see it also uh, in, in Nehemiah, like, like Paul, sacrificed what was normally due in order to serve as an example for the people. You know, sometimes we call this a dollar-a-year man. Have you ever heard that term? And, you know, the one that got my attention, he's kind of a hero, um, not because I know him or anything, but Lee Iacocca uh, in, in 1980. I mean, I was very familiar with the time, and Chrysler was about to go under, and he, he was hired to take over, and he said, I'll take over, but I want you to pay me $1 a year. And it's not that his salary made the difference. It didn't make the difference to balance the budget, but it told everyone in the organization, I am in this sacrificially. I'm not asking you to do something to sacrifice in a way that I'm not willing to go ahead. It's an amazing thing. I didn't realize it. I looked it up, but there are 37 high-profile business and government leaders that were $1 a year employees, and they include Herbert Hoover, John F. Kennedy, Mitt Romney, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Donald Trump. Those were all $1 a year people, and there are a bunch of other ones. Uh, that, that are, it's kind of an amazing legacy. The sixth is that Nehemiah persevered in the work of the wall. He didn't lose focus on what this was all about. His focus remained on building the wall. And all of his servants, they worked in the, and none of them acquired land. You know, imagine that. His whole, all of his governmental entourage, his cabinet, none of them were gaining anything. Wouldn't this be amazing? I mean, I think about government and how, you know, we hear sometimes about, about um, people in government that, who have enriched themselves. And we say, what is that all about? How is that happening? This is an amazing thing that was going on. So he persevered in all of this. Um, and then beyond this, uh, he, you know, there was no personal gain. But Nehemiah extended the hospitality of God's house, uh, which is uh, at his own expense. 
There was an expectation for the governor to entertain, but he entertained, and he entertained both the officials and the poor who were coming in. Uh, Look at, at verse 17. There were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations who were around us. So there's 150 nobles and officials and a whole bunch of other, we would call them immigrants. They were, they were the newcomers, the new poor. Come on in, come on in. We want you to be part of this. We want you to, to feast with us. Each day, Nehemiah offered this amazing hospitality at his own expense. Uh, one ox and six uh, sheep and a bunch of birds. And every 10 days, there was new wine that was brought in. I mean, it's kind of an amazing thing that he was doing without using the food allowance uh, attributed for the governor. But the the amazing thing is this last little statement, and I don't know if it caught your attention, verse 19. Nehemiah worked to please God alone. It says, remember, and it's a prayer. All of a sudden, it's a prayer. He's been telling the history, and he says, remember, for my good, oh God, all that I have done for this people. I don't, I'm not doing this to be seen by men. I'm not doing this for attention. I'm not doing this to, to gain some legacy in history. I'm doing this for you alone. It reminds us of the words that we find uh, in Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, this is the goal. So how do you deal with threats from within, the division, the strife, or injustice? That can be in a neighborhood or a community or a church or a family, or it can be in a nation or in our world. I would call this the Nehemiah plan. You've got to look inward first. You've got to speak up. We can't, can't, can't just be quiet. Bring a solution and not just a complaint. Point out the danger of the path that's ahead. You, you don't want to be shaken out of the close place that you've enjoyed with God. Lead sacrificially. Focus and persevere. Extend the grace of God, the graciousness, the hospitality of God, not just to the fancy people, but to everybody that's coming in. Wow. Seek to please God alone. Let's pray. I don't know where you are right now in your journey and your walk with God, but I think all of us can think of ways that we need to apply the Nehemiah plan. I know there are so many times when I need to look within. I need to take control of myself. I need to settle down. So many times when I need to speak up when I haven't. So many times when I've spoken up but I didn't bring a solution. God, guide us in this. Show us the the danger that can come. What can happen if, if, if we don't listen to you? Help us to lead sacrificially, to focus and persevere on, on building strong families, strong church, strong walls. Show us how to extend the grace, the hospitality of God, and to seek to please you only. In Jesus' name, amen.